0: Hey everyone, I'm Nick, uh, and what you just saw was a scene from The Matrix. One year after I was born, that movie dropped and everything changed for people. People everywhere questioned their reality as they witnessed the story of Neo, uh, the computer programmer who lives a mundane yet comfortable life until he realizes all of a sudden that he's actually in The Matrix, a virtual prison where all of humanity are enslaved by machines. Right For Neo... He acknowledges this, he realizes the truth, the truth sets him free, and he escapes the matrix, and he finds his true purpose as the one. That's Neo, but you also see this guy, Cypher, on the screen, right, Uh, who does an entirely opposite journey. You see, he's lived nine hard years in reality. He's been slaving away to serve the crew of his ship, keep it afloat, Uh, he's been battling powerful enemies all while having to live on less than he did in his past life. In the end, we see him so miserable with his new existence that he chooses to go back to captivity in the Matrix. He says, ignorance is bliss. Do you feel at all that like, that's familiar to you? You see, the reason I've gone with this psalm today is I have a burning question I want to answer. Why is it that as Christians we so often feel more like Cypher than Neo. We've been freed from far worse than the Matrix and machines. We've been freed from sin and Satan. And yet, if you're a Christian, you might wonder with me why we still struggle to be more joyful than someone who's still in captivity. If you're not a Christian, you're here, you might be looking in at the Christian life and wondering why would I want in on something that seems so joyless some of the time. Well, we're going to tackle both of these questions because the big question I want to ask tonight is real simple. Why are we as Christians often less happy than non-Christians? The answer in Psalm 32 is found in forgiveness. Let's pray that God would help us see that. Father God, we come to you tonight knowing that we need your word. Uh, We ask that you would uh, sustain me as a uh, come to bring it, Lord, and that we'd all sit under it and recognize how we can have great joy um, because of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. All right, well, uh, if you're wondering, by the way, why I'm wearing the sweater, I know it is a new look. Uh, Just bear with, I'm a little bit under the weather, so if I cough, take a drink. uh, You know why. Um, Yeah, comment on my style later. Come chat. Um, That's all good. Uh, So like I said, we're going to find the answer is in forgiveness. And our first point today of how we can find this joy is that Forgiven sinners can experience the greatest joy. Forgiven sinners can experience the greatest joy. Before we look at how that, the psalm shows us that, I want to ask, is that actually believable? Because I think if you went to an average person on the street and you asked them that question, what, what makes you happiest in life? You probably wouldn't hear being forgiven, right? You might expect to hear great relationships. You might hear their health and well-being, Uh, You might see that they have a great purpose in life, fulfilling work, that sort of thing, right? If you expect that, you're not wrong. Because the Global Happiness Survey last year found exactly that. Those things ranked right near the top for people and what brings them happiness. And being forgiven or giving forgiveness was about low to medium. Uh, Interestingly, though, you know, uh, they found that the biggest riser in what brought people happiness from before COVID to now was actually receiving forgiveness. I don't know why that is, exactly. Maybe something about being cooped up eventually helped us realize that sometimes we're the problem too. Uh, We're actually causing some of the problems in our relationships and need some forgiveness. It might be that. Or maybe people realized what the writer Marganita Lasky realized. See, she was no fan of Christianity, but right near her death, she was quoted as saying this. It's on screen. What I envy most about you Christians is your forgiveness. I have nobody to forgive me. Pretty surprising words, right? Of all the things for an atheist to crave about the Christian life, to look in on and and want, you'd think it might be relationships with one another or finding your purpose in life, right? But for her, maybe her own mortality made her feel a sense of weight and realize that she actually didn't have a way of solving that in this life or perhaps life to come. See, our deepest joy comes when our deepest problem is solved. Our deepest joy comes when our deepest problem is solved. That's what King David realizes too in this psalm. Verse 1 to 2, he says, how joyful is the one whose what transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is a person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity and in whose spirit is no deceit. For David, he knew he had the best source of joy, God's forgiveness. And remember, he's not just some deadbeat on the street, right? He's someone who had it all, way more than than Lasky ever had. He was the king of Israel. He was a celebrity of those times. He had all the, the relationships and the health and the power that came with being the ruler. And yet, at the same time, he was someone who'd done some terrible things. Jared this morning preached on Psalm 51 where Uh, David unpacks that he, uh, first of all, slept with one of his trusted soldier's wives, Bathsheba, and then tried to cover it up by actually having this friend and, and soldier killed. It was agonizing guilt on the back of that for David once he realized what he'd done. And you'd understand as well, right? He realized at that point that his deepest problem was actually his sin. He uses three terms for it. In these verses to get to the point and get it across to us as well. First, he uses the word transgression. And that's all the times that we cross the line, uh, whether they're from God or from our conscience or from authorities. I've noticed those uh, uh, sofas out the back, right, which say, like, don't move the sofas. I think I said, don't lie on the sofas uh, previously. What's the one thing that you've wanted to do when you've read those signs? As I've wanted, I don't think I have light on the sofa. I think I've restrained myself, but I definitely wanted to. See, I'm a transgressor at heart, right? And I think similarly we have a knack for crossing those lines. Sadly, like David, we cross far more serious lines than just some sofas. Second, he uses the word sin itself. It's kind of a straying from the path. God set like the good path for us to live, and we've deviated and gone one sin after another towards destruction. And lastly, he uses the word iniquity. You can kind of imagine all these things that outward actually become inward. We get a little bit twisted, a little bit congealed. The sin inside us turns into a knot and rots. It's an ugly picture. Trust me in saying this isn't actually spoilers, but the first and best episode of the latest Black Mirror season is called uh, Jonah's Awful. In it, Joan, uh, this lady, realises that she's suddenly having her whole life streamed to a worldwide audience. Day by day, it's this deep fake that's like learning her life from her phone. It's kind (laughs) of scary. And then broadcasting her whole life for people to see. It's kind of like reality TV, but it's actually reality, right? Like, it's scary. Uh, You don't have that boof head you can kind of hide behind who does dumb, obvious things. Uh, Instead, her whole life, all her inner thoughts and desires and actions get put on display for people to see, and it's ugly. She loses her job, she loses her fiancé because of what's on display. Imagine what you'd do if your private life was suddenly on display, maybe not on a streaming service, but on these screens up here. If everyone broadcast and saw what you think about, what you've done, the desires that you've had. If it was for me, (laughs) I think it'll be the last time you see me at Uni Church. I would not come back from that one. I tell you that much. The scary thing is, though, this isn't actually too far from the truth. You see, the Bible holds out that God has set a day of judgment, where He's going to expose all the sin in our life—the sin that He already knows, not just our actions, but our thoughts and desires too. It'll all be played back. If you're with me, that actually feels like my deepest problem. It feels like our deepest problem. But that's where the cross enters the scene. You see, at the cross, Jesus is punished for all those sins, so that if we come clean to God about them, we're made clean before Him. You see the logic? Cover your sin up now, God will uncover it on that day of judgment. But uncover your sin now, and God will cover over those sins. This is forgiveness. This is the joy that now none of those sins are going to be counted against us if we trust in Jesus. And that is what gives David great joy. See verse six. When great floodwaters come, they will not reach him. You're my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with joyful shouts of deliverance. God promises protection from the scariest thing of all, the floodwaters of his judgment. They won't even come close to us if we're in Jesus. And they don't even need to come close to our joy either. How good does forgiveness look now? And I want to say, if you've never tasted it before, whether that's because you're not yet a Christian, or even if you are, please come and experience this great freeing joy now. We'll talk about exactly how you can do that later on. But I do want to press in at this point. Why can I say the greatest joy belongs to the forgiven sinner. Well, God takes the mic to himself in verse 8, and he says this, I will instruct you and show you the way to go. With my eye on you, I will give counsel. So when we're forgiven, we can have relationship with God. The God who made us, the God who purposed our lives, he now offers intimate direction for us. You know that cliche in romance movies? Uh, where someone might say to their kind of significant other, oh, you're my rock, right? What they kind of mean is like, of all the changeability in life, maybe all the suckiness that's out there, um, oh, you're the one that stable thing for me, the one thing I can rely on. But what's the twist in most romance movies? Not, not that I've seen them. I don't really watch them. That, that's true. But the twist is often, this rock is pretty rocky, right? Like, it doesn't last. The romance breaks up, People come into conflict. If it's not romance, then it's with friends or it's with our work, even our health. All these things are changeable. And so if we seek our joy, our happiness only in them, we're going to be let down. We're going to overprotect them, guard them, or we're going to over-expect from others. Instead, God is the rock whose love will never change. Look at verse 10. Many pains come to the wicked, but the one who trusts in the Lord will have faithful love surrounding him. The Christian, the one who trusts in the Lord, might experience the same many pains of broken relationships, of dissatisfying work, of health that's lost, to suffering and to death, but our joy is deeper than those circumstances. We can experience joy in the hardest of times because God is the only one whose faithful love surrounds us, will never leave us. It's unconditional. I love this. All of this is because we have already been forgiven of our sins. It's this forgiveness that Lasky envied in Christians. So that's the greatest joy. Hopefully that's somewhat persuasive from the passage here. But what's the catch of it, right? Why don't we often feel that joy? Why don't we often experience the joy of being forgiven? Well, point two is that forgiven sinners forfeit that joy by hiding sin. Forgiven sinners forfeit that joy by hiding sin. It's actually on us, you see. Look at what David says, verse 3. When I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer's heat. When David was silent about his sin, everything sucked Rather than joy, there's pain of every kind and he can't go anywhere for reprieve. His relentless mental anguish only saps his strength and bakes his bones. That's a horrible picture. Worst of all, all he feels from God is weight. The discomfort of God letting him know this isn't right. Have you ever felt that weight? If you haven't, or you haven't recently, that's not a good thing. This, this weight is often the Holy Spirit pressing into our hearts, pointing out our sin. So it's not the weight as the issue. The question that matters for us is what do you choose to do about it? Well, oh, David in the psalm lets us know what to do about the weight and what not to do. Let's start with what not to do. Verse 9, he says, Do not be like a horse or a mule without understanding they must be controlled with bit and bridle, or else it will not come near to you. So a bit, it's uh, kind of this metal bar that you stick uh, in between the teeth of the horse, kind of like this, to steer them this way or this way if, you, if they're not going where you want them to. Uh, I've, I've learned that, and you kind of use the bridle to kind of pull them and, you know, all that sort of good stuff. If you're wondering how I know all this deep horse lore out there, um, it's actually because I have some experience uh, with taming horses. You yeah, might not look it. Um, but yeah, that's true. Um, horses, they're wild, they're rebellious, they're stubborn. Uh, just, just look at this picture of one that I subdued the other day. <laughs> Here David says, do not be this horse. Do not be this horse. Uh, it's without understanding. Why is it without understanding? Because it says it in its horse kind of voice. You know, thanks, but no thanks. I'll deal with my own sin, God. And it won't go where God tells it to go it won't come near to God for forgiveness. It's going to sort it itself. That's what it's going to do. That's It's horse resolve. I think in our culture, this sounds a lot like the phrase, just forgive yourself. Right? There's something good in that, for sure. You don't want to be beating yourself up over things. But for me, I know forgiving myself often requires justifying myself. I've seen this so often, I have to think in my head when I'm dealing with the weight of sin, oh, uh, I didn't really do that much wrong, I try and get past it that way, or maybe uh, I'll just make it up to them and God, like, I'll work it out myself, somehow. It's mental gymnastics, really. Yeah. Uh, do you think the same way at all? Do you ever catch yourself thinking those thoughts? So this way of thinking, it's as, kind of as dumb as exams. Now, I'm not shouting out exams too much, but I want to say, you know why exams are dumb? I have different answers to that. Uh, But I want to say it's because you're solving problems that have already been solved, right? You're going, you're doing the paper, but they already know the answer. You're not giving them anything new. And that's like us, when we try to do again what Jesus has already done fully and finally at the cross. We're just doing an exam. This is pride, guys, and it's a scam, It sounds honorable to do this kind of, I'm going to deal with this, but it's fatal. See, we already saw this. Either Jesus will carry our sins or we will to the day of judgment. Secondly, you may also end up being a horse because of shame or guilt or fear. All of those things make it really hard to come to a God who's perfect and go, yeah, this is all I have to offer. I get that. And so we go our own way. Instead, we do what horses do. We load up, right? You can imagine a horse with a backpack. I don't really know what they call them, but a big sack on its back. And they'll load up, um, take on all our kind of sin, our shame. We'll kind of put it into this backpack. We'll lug around our personal debt wherever we go, just feeling that little bit heavier wherever we might end up. What sin is it for you that you choose to bear under the weight of? You carry around, you keep it to yourself. You suffer under the weight of it for days at a time. If you're struggling to think, here's three common ways. I think we love to load up backpacks and carry around our sin. Firstly, and this one's for me, it's laziness. See, I'm a person that loves to get the very most out of my time, uh, and that's a good thing when it works well. But I also find when I struggle, when I procrastinate, when I, when I fail to do that, I end up mentally or even physically just beating myself up over it. Uh, even this week writing this talk, I'd come to the point of midnight having procrastinated, and I'd just feel terrible. Uh, I would feel bitterly sad that I couldn't just do the day over. Sometimes I don't feel like I have a license to sleep at all. And if I do, I'll just wake up the next day feeling that guilt, feeling that pressure. That's miserable. The backpack's still with me, and I want to escape it. So what do I do? What do you do in that situation? Procrastinate again, right? Uh, And the spiral of just shame continues. You might feel the same way, or you might also be weighed down by a second thing, lust. You see, lust, of all things, uh, perhaps sexual sin, it sticks heaviest to us, right? It's a lot like a thick tar coating that we kind of carry around that robs us of any sense of joy before God, any sense of worth even. And yet, even though you're carrying this around, it's so hidden to the public eye that you can kind of soldier on with the shame, and no one might know but you know, and God knows. And bit by bit, it doesn't go away. You just add to that backpack and get that little bit heavier. Laziness, lust, or thirdly, we might just carry the weight of feeling like a loser in our spiritual lives. Have you ever thought this way? It's been ages since I read the Bible or prayed. I have no idea where to start anymore with God. Or, I've left that message on scene for weeks. I don't know how I could ever respond now and not be super awkward. Now, I've been gone too long from connect group or church. If I came back now, they'd know that I'm unreliable. They'd know that I put my study ahead of God. There's no way back. i have to live with it. I can't show my face again. Friends, I've seen people leave Jesus over those things, over choosing to keep that backpack on and do nothing. But it's actually a lie. It is a full-face lie because that backpack doesn't go away. It just adds, and you carry it and carry it till the day that you die. This is what robs us of our Christian joy. We forfeit the joy of being forgiven by hiding our sin. We forfeit the joy of being forgiven by hiding our sin. And that is definitely what David says not to do. Don't be a horse loaded down by the weight of your sin, refusing to come to God for forgiveness because the solution God offers is so much better. Our third and final point is that forgiven sinners can restore that joy through one confession. Forgiven sinners can restore that joy through one confession. Look at how David escapes the weight of sin. Verse five, then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. David acknowledged his sin. Instead of covering his sin inside his backpack, he uncovered it to God, and God covered it over himself. That is absolutely beautiful. And the transformation for David is huge. God forgave the guilt of his sin, the guilt gone, the weight off, the joy restored. Hallelujah. That is why David is singing this psalm. And all of this came from one moment of confession. This is key. This is the thing to take away from today, this idea of confession. See, confession is siding with God about your sin. Confession is siding with God about your sin. You see, we've, when we load the sin into our backpack and just decide to lug it, it's actually kind of pretending that it's not really there or pretending that it's not as bad as it is. It's pretending it's not an offence to God Himself. But when we take it out, when we admit it to God, we're hating it like God hates it. We're siding with Him about the reality of it. So confession to God, siding with Him, it's absolutely primary, absolutely key in the Bible. But I also want to say, James 5.16 says it commands us to confess our sins to one another as well. This isn't the Catholic idea of confessing to a priest. Rather, it's God knows that there's great relief and accountability as well when we uncover our sin just to another sinner, right? There's something really special about that. So today I want to encourage us all to come to God and someone we trust, maybe after the service, maybe in a quiet conversation, and side with God about the sin in your life. If you're not a Christian, that'll mean confessing a life lived against God. You don't need to name every single sin you've ever done But you need to turn from that attitude of opposition and ask God for forgiveness. And if you're a Christian who's weighed down by your sin, which I think is all of us at times, I hope, come to God, come regularly. Come knowing weeks or months or years of pain can be wiped out all because of one genuine instant of confession before God. I think that's absolutely incredible. This is the gospel right here and it's so good. If we're still talking horses, I reckon it's a bit more like this horse. Does anyone know this game up here? Uh, It's Buckaroo, right? I don't know if you've played it, but you go around in a circle, you take turns loading up the horse with like a little weight, uh, and you kind of, it gets a little bit more and more tense as you go around and everyone puts one on. You're hoping you're not the guy who eventually puts one on, only to break its back, and it kicks up and knocks them all off. Uh, That's the Buckaroo, right? It bucks it all off. I never played it as a kid, but uh, you might remember the iconic kind of jingle, you know, buck, buck, buckaroo. It wasn't phrased like that, but I'm no linguist. Um, See, David in the psalm, he tells us not to be a horse loaded with the weight of our sin, but if we ever feel like a horse, buckaroo is the sort of horse that we want to be. Take that sin, confess it to God, and buck, buck, buckaroo, get rid of it, kick it off in one fell swoop. It doesn't need to be there. It really doesn't. That weight, kick it off. That's David's advice too. Verse 6, he concludes, Therefore, let everyone who is faithful pray to you immediately. Don't hesitate. Tonight could be the night you rid yourself of that backpack of weight, whether it's from laziness or lust or feeling like a loser or whatever. Buck, buck, buckaroo, guys. Like, this is what we're about. And that means forgiveness is now. Uh, Two weeks ago, we saw that the cross is not just this event in the distant past, but it's something we take up every day. Uh, Similarly, here tonight, you weren't just forgiven on the day that you became a Christian. Uh, And you won't be just forgiven on the day you stand before God in judgment. Forgiveness is today. Forgiveness is now. You are forgiven today. Come to God. You see, going back to that first question, why are we as Christians often less happy than non-Christians? It's because we forget that forgiveness, right? We forget it, and so that weight of our sin, our greatest problem, it brings us down. In that situation, being ignorant of sin, it does sound like bliss to be freed from that. And you saw Cypher. That's what he did. He went back to the matrix. But through one confession, we can restore the joy of forgiveness. That's Neo. That's what God wants for us. Don't miss out on joy by failing to confess your sin. I want to finish with one practical way of confessing. But before that, we've got to answer one last thing. Because verse 6, it encouraged us not to hesitate, uh, but to pray immediately to God with our sin. So why is that so hard? Why do we feel like we need to hide it uh, or to make amends ourselves? Why? What makes us into horses, basically? Well, to answer that, come with me to a moment 10 years ago in young Nick's life. You know how every household has that cardinal rule of no balls inside the house? Uh, well, I was kind of the guy that usually had a ball inside the house. You know, what can I say, I'm a transgressor, You know we talked about that, I admitted that. Uh, so one day I'm doing as I do, I'm, I'm kicking uh, the ball around, I'm trying to perfect the up the stairs drop kick, if you guys have ever done that. I, w- I would show you, but um, yeah, the lights are up there and pack and save, my. you know, could go bad. Um, in fact, even in my photo here, I had this, uh, this ball. Um, and uh, you may have noticed uh, what else is in that photo. It's a great ball, um, but uh, a little something else. And, and indeed, on that day 10 years ago, I was really putting a little bit of extra gusto, a little bit of extra oomph to get the perfect flight, right? So I hit one, set it soaring up the staircase, flying, flying, soaring, throwing, going, <laughs> I totaled the lights, right? You know it was coming. It, was, yeah, it wasn't a surprise. It was to me, <laughs> I didn't expect that. And I felt this big horror as I kind of waited in that silence. And sure enough, down the stairs came a voice emanating, my dad's voice. That didn't sound good. <laughs> yeah, at that point I had a choice. I had a choice on how I was going to respond, right? Did I try and cover up that it was me? It wasn't really, no, I didn't do that. Or did I try and helplessly fix the light and tell my dad he was just hearing things? Those are options. Or did I confess to my dad what I did, what he already knew that I'd done? In the end, I decided on the last one. And for my dad, it was just water under the bridge. The relief came on pretty much immediately for me. And you know why I made that last choice? It's because I knew my dad, right? I knew that he loved me. I knew that he's one of the kindest people I know, one of the most forgiving. And I simply know that he's my dad. And see, if we realize that God was the kindest and most forgiving father that we could ever have, we wouldn't hesitate to bring all our ugliness to him. Even in sin, we can experience great joy, great comfort of being a beloved son or daughter. The Bible would say we shouldn't sin so that, you know, we get lots of God's grace, but it does say when we confess our sin, we do get grace, so much of it. Jesus says as much when he tells the famous story in Luke 15 of a son who abandons and abuses his father. A son, he realizes the error of his ways and he resolves to come back to God, uh, come back to his father, sorry, with these words. Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and went to his father. He comes to his father expecting that because of what he's done, he's no longer a son at all. He's just a servant. He'll now have to work to make amends. But Jesus, when he tells the story, wants us to know what God's love is really like. On screen. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. You see, friends, God is never holding us at arm's length. It's us who keep our distance from God. We're the ones who forfeit the joy of being forgiven, of being sons through hiding our sin. But one confession, one moment of coming back can restore that. For me, the psalm is a tremendous blessing. My whole mentality of achieving heaps means I often conflate two things, who I am and what I do. You might have done that as well, is it important categories. For me, it's like this picture here. Uh, I make it out that I'm someone who serves Jesus, I'm someone who tries to love Jesus with my best, uh, and that kind of cycles into one another, but the problem is when I fail to love Jesus, I, I'm crushed. I question who I am completely, right? But it's not the truth, this diagram. My real identity is as a child of God, and it's a one-way flow. This diagram shows it. Because I am a child of God, I'll never need to fear coming to my Father. I'm always stable. I can confess my sin, and I know God will never tire of me coming to Him. If it's the first time, if it's the thousandth time, He's our Father, and He delights in it. So special. And that leaves our only remaining question. How can we confess? Well, it's as simple as praying to God. But I want to give us one way to expand on this. A great practice I've learned uh, from a book, uh, in the, it's called Blessed Bartering. It's something I often do after we sing at church. Uh, Tim Chester, he describes it like this. i read along with me on screen, and then I'd love to lead us in a prayer with it in mind. He says, think of your sin, the sins you've committed today, the sin that feels as though you commit every day. Then imagine handing them over to Jesus one by one, Open your hands, release your grip. Feel the weight lift from your heart. Feel your shoulders relax. Jesus has taken your burden and borne it at the cross in your place. Instead of trying to make amends, let's experience the joy of forgiveness now. Let's buckaroo the weight of sin that's already paid for. How about it? How about I lead us in a prayer? Father, we come in recognition today that Your faithful, fatherly love will never leave us. And yet, Lord, we want to admit our faults before you with that security in mind. We want to admit that we aren't who we ought to be. There may be sin on each one of our minds. I know for me, Lord, yes, the wrestle with pride even today. We want to offer those to you now. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have paid for those, each one of them. Please take our messiness. Please give us your forgiveness, your joy, your freedom in response. Spirit, help us to not just do this once, but to make this the practice of our lives, to keep experiencing the greatest joy on offer. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful, and if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.